sorry. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Welcome. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, a weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of stories from the ever-changing world of music. <laughs> I knocked into something. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. This is fine. We're your two beer-loving hosts. I'm Maggie. I thought you were going to say hose for a second. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. But I'm Ashley. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess, like, we're hoes in the same area code. Oh, that rhymed. Wait. You You're know almost that. a rapper. You know that song, right? No, I don't. I got hoes in different areas. Who codes. is? Luda. Who? Ludacris. Oh, oh okay. No. My I don't know God. That. I'm sorry. All right. If he's not on a Missy Elliott song, I don't know. <laughs> and if... <laughs> You listen to it on the radio. Oh, wait till you're done drinking. When you listen to it on the radio, he says, I got pros in different area codes. Oh, my God. Like like Shakespeare? You know what? Forget you. That's stupid. Fucking radio. (laughs) Shut up. Just let me Radio and TV edits are so stupid. Stop it. So forget you. Are you are you making a reference? Yes, because when they overdub movies fuck for you. TV, oh, fuck you becomes forget, forget you. you, forget you. God damn it! Well, you won't be forgetting this episode because it's good. But all of our episodes are good. It's fucking I'm, superb segue. I am the best at segues. <laughs> I should start writing one because I'm so good at it. Oh my god, I would fall over so much. All right, so. Today, we are talking about Laura Jean Grace. Woo! And for those of you who don't know, she... She is the lead singer of the punk band Against Me. Wasn't it more like, against me! Exclamation point! Exclamation point at the end of it. Yes. Against me! Yes. And to go along with tonight's episode, we're drinking Guinness. We're keeping it real basic. We're we're getting classic with it. Bringing it real back, because pint of Guinness makes strong. That's true. And that is the name of one of their songs. Hence why we were drinking also, Guinness. apparently it's like the 200th anniversary. Yeah. 200. Holy 200th shit. 200th anniversary of the Guinness uh, beer company. I genuinely thought it said 40. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I can read. I can't read. <laughs> I, I never, never learned, learned to read. read. <laughs> but it is really their 200 years in America. Hold up. Oh, just in America? Just in America. Wow. So, good job, Guinness. Good form. Cheers. Cheers good to form. you. Good form. Anyway. Proud of you. <laughs> so, we're continuing Pride Month. Yes. By not only talking about gay, lesbian, everything else, but also transgender. Yes. Which I think is a severely underrepresented group of people. Yeah. And they are severely rep- underrepresented in the lesbian and gay community. Right. And get a lot of hate. And that's bullshit. Um, so I really wanted to talk about Laura Jane Grace because not only is she a relatively well-known musician, she's also a punk rock musician. Yeah. And transgender musicians are few and far between. She might be the only transgender punk rock musician that i know of right or that anybody has even heard of so and and, and, and a wrong, whole lot of people can... have not even heard of her before or have heard of against me so i was gonna say last night mike's like who are you doing it on and i was like laura jane Grace from against me and he's like i don't know what that is i'm like i know that because you can't tell the difference between a nirvana song and a nine inch nail song he knows herman's hermits and that's it and that's fine that's fine <laughs> that's if you got some herman's fine. hermits trivia 
He's on it. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So let's talk about some Laura Jane Grace, huh? I'm in it. All right. Let's do it. So Laura Jane Grace was born Thomas James Gamble on November 8th, 1980. So she's not that much older than we are. Oh, I actually thought she was younger than us. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Her father, Major Thomas Gable, was obviously in the army. So that meant Laura moved around a lot to various army bases when she was young. Do you think... That he felt the need to make major because his name was Tom. Um, I knew you were going to do that joke. I knew it. <laughs> I don't disappoint. Well, I don't know if they ever lived in Houston, but that would have been appropriate, right? Oh. Yeah. Do, do they do, uh, I'm mixing up my David Bowie and Apollo 13 again. Sorry. <laughs> I do that so often. So often. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, She never had friends for very long and learned never to get too close to anyone because just when you start to make friends, you'll move away and never see them again. It's kind of the same story for a lot of army brats, though. You know, just as soon as you start making a good friend, then you're off to another army base somewhere else. Right. Um, She was an unruly child nicknamed Tom Tom the Atom Bomb, which is kind of a badass nickname. That's the best fucking nickname ever. (laughs) And that was for her propensity to destroy grocery stores and basically anything standing in her way. Oh, my God. She's already my hero. I should say that I got a whole lot of my information from Laura's autobiography called Tranny. Nice. um, Which came out only a few years ago. Um, And she she said that it was actually somebody that in that worked at the grocery store that would that nicknamed her that because. She would sit in the the front of the cart, the shopping cart, and just, like, put her hand out and swipe Yes! Off. I've always wanted to do that. Oh, my God. She's living our best living lives for us. Yes. <laughs> but despite her energetic nature, she often sought privacy from her family. Her father wasn't exactly Danny Tanner. She describes her father as... <laughs> out of all right? the fathers you could reference. Danny Tanner. Danny Tanner. Yeah. She describes her father as, quote, a warm man grown cold through military service. He was a young man when he entered the army, 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 (laughs) but military service gradually hardened him into a disciplinarian and conservative man and very much hardlined his views on gender. Oh. When her father caught her playing with Barbies with a neighbor girl, he promptly told Laura that boys do not play with Barbies and then gave her a G.I. Joe to play with. Oh. Apparently, she liked the pink Barbie Corvette. Who didn't? Which was my favorite when I was a kid. I, I had the pink Barbie. It was metallic. Ooh. I had the metallic one. And Bougie. we also had a pink Barbie Jeep. Wow, you guys, you guys got in on your Barbie shit. Like, I had a Barbie. A Barbie? <laughs> I had, like, three Barbies. I think it was mostly my grandmother, because once she realized that we kind of liked Barbies, she was like, oh, the Barbie shit is yours. Yeah. All of it. A lot of times when, with kids, that's what I've learned with my niece and nephews. Like, when you find out they like something, you're going to bombard them with that shit. Because it's then it's easy to buy shit for oh, them. Oh, I know what to get you for Christmas. You really fucking like Disney princesses. Oh, do you love Legos? Here's a fucking bucket of Legos. Yeah. Have at. But when my sister and I played with our Barbies, we would put them in the cars and send them careening down the stairs. Because at the bottom of our stairs, we had our washer and dryer. So we would just send them flying down the stairs and sailing straight into the washing machine. 
Oh my god. It was, it was like Barbie car accident. Yeah, I was gonna say we did do fucked up things with our Barbies. I do remember sending them flying out of the window of my bedroom also on the second floor and we lived on a hill, so it was really high. <laughs> so my sister would go outside and <laughs> would get it and I'll, oh my- and I would be at the window and just like sail the car out the window. She's enabling you. It was really funny. So the first time Laura felt like maybe there was something different about her was when she saw Madonna on TV. She was in like awe. Like most people. Like most people. <laughs> and like most people, she was in awe of Madonna. But she loved her fashion, her look, and her sexuality. It wasn't just fun to watch. Laura knew she wanted to be Madonna. Aww. It was different. Like, we would watch Madonna and be like, I want to dress like her. Right. But... She wanted to actually physically be Madonna. I think Madonna was one of the first artists I looked at and I felt actual intimidation. Like, ooh, I can't be that. Like, But she, you real cool. Like, I'd hang with you, but yeah. I cannot be like, you. You're too cool for me. Like, legit 100%. Yeah. Uh, Mia Farrow also had a big influence on nice. young Laura. After watching Rosemary's Baby at eight years old. Nice. Uh, Laura felt a connection to Mia Farrow in a way no other female had at that point. Mia Farrow had the famous pixie haircut Mm -hmm. in that movie. And this was the first time Laura saw a woman with a men's haircut that still looked feminine. It gave her hope that even though she by all means looked like a boy, maybe one day she could look like a girl. Oh, And this is, must have been 80s. 1988. Yeah, it must be 1988. Yeah. So yeah, this is definitely the best you could hope for at this point. Yeah, there was, if if you even knew what was going on inside your head, there was really nobody you could really relate no. to at all. That was, that was accessible anyway to at, an eight-year-old. Yeah, at that point, it's not like it is today where, oh, I think I'm different. Let me tell someone about it. Back yeah. then, I think I'm different. Let me A, repress it, or B, I'm crazy. Yeah. Let me let me just shove it into the deepest recesses of my soul and try to keep it yeah. down just, there. Just keep just, it down there. Don't we'll tell anyone. It. Yeah. It's no one. Yeah. It was also around this age that Laura started cross-dressing. Oh, okay. Uh, her desire for privacy led her to building blanket forts in her bedroom, which sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. Her mom also happened to store her nylons in Laura's dresser to save space in their small home. So Laura would build these forts and while tucked away inside would try on her mother's nylons. And arguably, I think a lot of people who are transgender or um, even drag queens around this age is when they start discovering, oh, I like putting on women's clothes or men's clothes. Because it's before puberty. Right. It's before you really know... What what gender you relate to the most? Right. And it's almost like playing make believe, but without like it's it's like playing make believe, but it means a little bit more to you, right? And she knew that what she was doing was considered indecent by society, but there was still something about it that felt right. Yeah. So she didn't know it at the time, but this eventually would develop into full fledged gender dysphoria or a uh, gender gender identity. I'm really bad with the scientific names. I can't remember. You can totally come at us if you want, because it's, it's... you want to help us out and remind us what the proper <laughs> term is, that is fine. But it, it, 
she describes it as gender dysphoria, which is like the technical term for it. Mm. But it's also called gender identity something or else. And I'm totally blanking right now and yeah. I feel like an asshole. But We've been drinking a couple Guinnesses. Yeah. Guys, these are low in alcohol contents. So we felt the need to pregame more than usual. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure we went through two of these before we started recording. So yeah. like, this is like water. It basically is. It's brown it water. Is- gross. <laughs> it's great. Cr- it's creamy water. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, it's not as heavy as I remember remember it being, but I haven't had Guinness in years. We're adults now. Holy shit, it's been so long since I've had Guinness. So what gender dysphoria actually means is that one's emotional and psychological identity is different than their biological sex. Music is what helped Laura cope with her daily struggle with gender dysphoria. She loved 80s hair metal. Yeah. Because... Who didn't? Fuck right. Right? Yeah. Um, but her favorite band was Guns N' Roses. All right. Oh, and that explains. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, there was something about Axl Rose that really struck her, and she liked the androgyny of the band members and not really knowing if they were boys or girls. Okay. The band was dangerous in both sound and looks. That was what was appealing. This was the inspiration for her to start her own band. It wouldn't happen for a while, but that didn't stop her from practicing dance moves and thinking up potential band names that were, of course, written all over the backs of denim jackets. Oh my god, wait, so did she she have band names that of bands that didn't exist yeah. on the, oh my god stop. i would do the That's same ad- thing though Wait, i would totally what? do the same thing and i would like write lyrics for this band that i was like that was totally imaginary oh but i would try to write lyrics because i thought i was you know super musical and i love nirvana and bush so i would write lyrics that sounded like lyrics that they would write so basically really shitty lyrics hey, just because you didn't learn an instrument doesn't mean you're not musical True. It's in there. I really loved music. I just cannot keep a beat to save my life. It's all right. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Somebody has to write the lyrics. God knows I can't fucking do that. Yeah, I stopped a long time I ago because they were, they were terrible. Oh, oh, I could never write lyrics. So good. It's just like Teenage Angst poetry. It's garbage. Oof. Have you ever found your old poetry? And God, like, no. I, oh, I oh, throw that shit out a oh, long time I found, ago. I found old poetry and I was like, wow, Maggie. Yeah, that wow. that went out during a massive spring cleaning, probably in like 1998. We have a trunk full of old shit that sometimes I look uh, at. And I'm like, woof. I would I would love to see some old Maggie poetry. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be rough. I'm not gonna lie. It'd be real rough. So for four years, her family lived um, on a NATO base in Italy. Oh. And this just happened to be the time when the first Gulf War broke out. Oh. And if you think about it, Italy is not very far no, from that area. Not at all. So she definitely dealt with, like, air raid scares and everybody was on edge. And still, even in Italy at that point in the 80s, uh, American soldiers were not viewed favorably. Yeah. They I- were unwanted occupiers, mm. basically. Um, when the army refused to... De- to deploy her father into action, depression set in and her parents' marriage fell apart. Oh. She moved with her mom and brother, Mark, to Naples, Florida. <laughs> I was like, oh! Uh-huh. Okay. That's Wrong. a place to move to. Wrong Naples. Wrong Naples, guys. 
<laughs> they get off the plane. Shit, we went to the wrong Fuck. Naples. I knew this plane ride was too long. <sighs> God damn it. It was a pretty big womp womp. <laughs> as Laura would soon find out. Well, well A, Florida. Florida. Sorry, Florida. Uh, I am I am sorry, Florida. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Florida is Florida. But Florida was basically a dumpster fire compared to Italy because, obviously, yeah. she didn't come from a wealthy family and, in fact, was from a broken home with a single mom raising two boys and she would be relentlessly bullied in school. Mm. Um, Naples was kind of like... It was where rich and elderly white people lived. Oh. In Florida. Okay. At least at that time it was. I don't know what it's like now. But if you didn't have money and you came from a broken home, you were instantly an outcast. Right. And divorce was much less common back then. Right. So it was very scandalous to be like, right. oh my God, your parents aren't together anymore? Who are you, you freak? Who even are you? <laughs> But she didn't wear the right clothes or ride the right bikes. She was constantly called a faggot and an, and other unsavory terms that shithead boys would use to make fun of others. Right. Because let's be honest, little boys are dickheads. Little boys are dickheads. They're dickheads. Sorry, guys. Y'all were dickheads when you were kids. <laughs> you really were. You were so mean. But like to everybody. So yeah. I get it. You have anger issues and toxic masculinity is a thing. But still. But bring it down a notch, bros. Yeah. Like, you're at 11. Can we at least get to, like, an 8? Yeah. I can handle an 8. The church played a prevalent part in young Laura's life, for better or for worse. She never thought of herself as a religious person, but her mother relied a lot on their local church for after-school programs and youth groups, being a single mother with a job. I will, I will give local churches some major cred here, despite being an atheist. I know some peeps who have been super helped out by the church yeah. um who are definitely in a lower income bracket and i gotta be like yo some of those church communities are amazing as long as they're not forcing yeah. your child to do anything i have no problems with it whatsoever yeah. but it's amazing like sometimes like when you need a community like that there have been a couple churches i've seen that really fucking step up and i'm like good for you so yeah. that's good at least they had that but you know hashtag not all churches <laughs> yeah you know not what? all churches she's right she's right you know laura even participated in some congregation talent shows Ooh! so for three years in a row she was in these talent shows first year acapella version of bohemian rhapsody oh all right i'm sold <laughs> second year acoustic version of john lennon's imagine oh third year cover of Heart Shaped Box by Nirvana. All right. After which the church specifically asked her not to participate again. <laughs> but that's like a Maggie Ashley dream right there. Oh yeah. Like that's like a that's John a good Lennon run. sandwiched into our family or our favorites right there. That's a good run. That's a good run. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good sandwich Yo, of our musical taste. That's a great sandwich. Yeah. I'd eat it. That's a mus- I'd throw it up and eat it again. Oh, gross. Whatever. <laughs> don't act like you've never done it. I have not. No, I that is either. so disgusting. I don't, I don't even know how you would. My dogs have, but not oh, me. Fucking dogs. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> not helping things was the fact that the church labeled her as troubled. 
They noted to her mother the many cut marks they saw on her arms and legs and refused to let her come back to the church until she sought psychological help. Hey, hey, you know what I just said? Taking it back. Yep. (laughs) Taking back that nice thing I said about churches. Yep. Hashtag fuck you. (laughs) This led to pretty hard feelings of abandonment from the church, because obviously. Because, yeah, fuck, again, fuck you. Fuck you. That's some bull- Oh, we see your kid might be hurting themselves. You can't come back here. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. There's only only one person allowed to have stigmata here, and that's Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I went there. I'll go there again. Uh, Only one person here can have body image issues and, and cut themselves. Jesus. And his name is Jesus. <laughs> That's it. So obviously this led to pretty hard feelings of abandonment from the church. Even though religion and God didn't really factor into Laura's thinking all that much, she still felt kind of abandoned by this group of people that were supposedly there to help her. Right. Even and if you're not religious, I imagine you can still view the church that's yeah. kind of been helping you out as, but I like, mean, helping if, you out. If this is, like, an after-school program or something that she went to every day, mm-hmm. she probably undoubtedly made friends. Right. And it wasn't always about religion. It was about some kind of community or friendship and and people telling you, oh, you're weird and you're doing creepy shit, so get the fuck out of here until you're better. That's fucked up. That is really fucked up. Come on. Yeah. So instead of really getting that psychological help, she spent her time not at church, hanging around her grandmother's house, watching MTV, and trying on her mother's dresses that she leave in the hamper. Mm, Upgrade? (laughs) Like, I'd say upgrade. I'd rather do that. Yeah. Um, She would imagine herself as, quote unquote, her, which would be... This image that she would have throughout her whole life. Of course. And her would be the woman she imagined herself to be in another reality. This was the woman that she always wanted to be, that she was deep down inside, but couldn't for any number of reasons actually express to anybody she knew. Mm -hmm. It was pretty clear at this point she had gender dysphoria, but she had no clue what that was. No. She knew something was wrong with her, that maybe she was schizophrenic or just disturbed. This unknown problem, or what society, and by extension Laura, thought was a problem, would have a huge influence on her teenage years and 20s. Some good, and some really fucking bad. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Again, mid-90s, we're still not, still not there not yet, guys. You're not talking about this. This no. is... Gender identity issues were not a even thing. being gay was like a thing, but it wasn't like a popular or cool thing. Right, right. <laughs> like I, I th- we've talked about this at a different podcast. The first time I ever knew of any gay person was Pedro Zamora from Real World San Francisco. That's right, and that was the first time there was like a an actual gay person represented on TV. It was probably the first gay person a whole lot of us knew. Who had cable. Who, ha- who had cable. <laughs> but Any no. of us who had cable. But like. Yeah. Because nobody in regular normal life. Right. Felt comfortable enough to come out as, as gay. Especially if you were from a smaller town like oh I my was. God. And even. Yeah. I mean. And she's from Naples, Florida. Come on. Yeah. So if, if being just gay is that unknown. 
transgender wasn't even on our maps. No. At best, we had RuPaul, which at that point we just called trannies, which is totally not okay anymore to say. And in a way, even at that point, RuPaul was still a joke. Oh, exactly. Oh, exactly is not a word. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, transvestites, transsexuals, uh, drag queens, they were something to be made fun of. Exactly. So even if they did show up on a TV show or something, it was as the butt of a joke. Mm -hmm. It was, it still wasn't accepted. It was fucking weird and nobody knew what to do with them. Like, oh, you, you hit on a man dressed as a woman. Ha ha ha. Joke's on you. Ha. That's gross. That's really funny. That's gross. That's so gross. Laugh track, laugh track. So you can only imagine then her seeing stuff like that on TV, but feeling, oh my God, but I, I feel like I am female. Like that's must be terrifying. How up that must be so would end terrifying. Up, end up becoming because of that. Oh, I no, that's awful. Yeah, like I feel so horrible for it. I have to go go through all that. Yeah, but by her early teenage years, rebellion had settled quite nicely into Laura's life. She nice. grew her hair out under the guise of rebellion, but really, she just wanted hair like the other girls her age. Arguably, she had very nice. Has very she nice has hair. beautiful hair? Got, I am jealous of her. She got that Pantene hair. she started playing hooky drinking and doing drugs weed of course but even harder drugs like coke she tried coke for the first time at age 13 wow because florida is a cesspool of gross and you can get any kind of drug anytime you want anywhere that's true she realized that different drugs had different effects on her dysphoria Mm -hmm. weed made the idea of being a woman a reality like she could actually obtain that in her life while coke and alcohol made her not care about it at all Hmm. so it alcohol and coke made it seem like this wasn't even a thing just normal dude just a normal teenager oh you mean like so she didn't even feel like a woman like she figured like oh i can be a dude and this is fine my life like i'm tom right now yes Okay. And this would become a big thing throughout her life. Like, Coke and alcohol were, like, her thing. This Throughout, like, the entire career of Against Me up until, like, she finally came out. Yeah, like, Coke was a big deal and alcohol was a big deal. Wow. Very big problems for her. Um, But her first experience learning about sex changes came while visiting her grandparents' cabin in Pennsylvania. She found a sports almanac with a short article about Renee Richards, a famous tennis player who underwent a male to female sex change. So this is still like early 90s. Okay. Um, It was a huge revelation. All of a sudden, the idea of becoming a woman became real, but she just didn't know how to make it happen. Right. It's still not normal. I mean, this is a... Star athlete probably has money. Got, right, you know, the could name. go to the best doctors, mm-hmm. the most like exclusive doctors, and I'm sure at this time there were not very many doctors no. that did this kind of surgery. At, at this rate, Laura could probably best wish for a Hedwig and the Angry Inch situation. Exactly. So, <laughs> but also she she was still a very young teenager. Oh so well, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't have even happened at this point anyway, but. The thought that somebody could actually, that this surgery could actually be performed, it 
became something that could be a reality. It gave her a little hope. Yeah. She tried... She just wished that she could just wake up a woman because that was the only way she could think of that this would actually happen. It was a very short article that she read that didn't detail what exactly Renee Richards did to get the sex change. So Laura kind of just prayed to God, hoping that praying would make her wake up a woman one day. And was God like, hey, I saw how you tried to do stigmata like my son. I'm not okay with it. Well, whatever it was, God didn't answer. So when God didn't answer, she tried praying to Satan. Oh, really? Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> like, actually, like, pricked herself and wrote, like, in blood, like... Oh, why do know. I think that's cute? I don't know, because it's a teenager thinking Satan's real or yeah. something. I don't well, know. Well, yeah, and it's just, like, it's such a teenage thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I definitely went if from God only... to, like, witchcraft for a little bit. If then back only... to God, and then back to like, oh, hey, none of this shit's real. And then back to the middle of the round again. I'm going to be there in the end. 100% pure love. <laughs> but we we should have hooked Laura Jane Grace up with Euronymous, and maybe oh, maybe they could have been friends. You're the best of friends. People, let me tell you about my best friends. Oh my god, that's a fan fiction <laughs> I want to write. I'm just picturing Euronymous riding a bike in his crop top <laughs> with Laura Jean Grace standing on the back. <laughs> like, this is around. great. We're just friends. This is great. Oh, can somebody write that fan fiction? Either write the fan fiction, draw the fan art. Guys, I need it. I need it in my life. This Real is the hard. sweetest thing ever. <laughs> the rock candy dream. Euronymous and Laura Jean Grace, just best friends for life on a bicycle. Oh, that's so cute. And they're all cute. But nothing worked. She didn't wake up one day as a woman. No. And this started a slew of mental health issues, including depression. <sighs> the only way she knew how to deal with depression was through music. Her love of 80s hair metal had turned into a love of punk rock. But like punk, you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but punk wasn't just a genre of music to, Loria, to Laura. Excuse me. It became a way of life. Yeah. What really solidified this nihilistic way of life for Laura was an incident that happened when she was 15. It was during a 4th of July celebration where she was assaulted by two police officers. After being slammed repeatedly into a cop car and the pavement, handcuffed and hauled to jail, she was convicted of resisting arrest with violence and battery on an officer. But, yeah. But. Yeah. But they. What? And she didn't do anything. Mind you, at this point, she was still Tom. Yeah. She was just, you know, a shitty little punk brat. Well, and, and from, I've seen just very few pictures, but. Tom or Laura, neither have ever seemed to be a large person. Um, I think she's she's at least like six feet tall. Really? But, but she's skinny. Very gangly. Yeah. Okay. So she was tall, but at 15, I'm sure she was still pretty tall. And very thin. And thin. So um, according to Laura, when she she talks about the story in her autobiography. Um, she wasn't doing anything. I'm sure she wasn't. She There was like a 4th of July celebration going on on a boardwalk or something like that. And she was with her friends just walking and passed by these two cops. And the cops were like, get the fuck out of here. Like, nobody wants you here. Get the fuck out of here. Oh my God. So they just kept walking. And the cops found them again and said, we thought we told you to get the fuck out of here. And she like 
mouthed off right. or something as kids do. And the officers were officers were like, "Oh, you want to fuck with us? We'll fuck with you." And Jesus. like, totally just went off. And then they ended up arresting her and throwing her in jail. And then she was convicted of battery on an, resisting arrest with battery on an officer, or resisting arrest with violence and battery on an officer. Yeah, let's see the uh, officers' bruises. Oh, there are none. Oh cool. yeah. Mm-hmm. You fuck. you want to tell me a fifteen year old gangly kid like? assaulted a pol- two police officers really please roll my eyes real hard right now yeah so if this didn't make you jaded towards authority and government then i don't know what would yeah fuck that so what does a teenage punk brat do after all of this start a motherfucking band yeah <laughs> i was I- hoping that was what you were gonna say i'm like start a band start a, band, start start a motherfucking band, band. Mm-hmm. or as billy eichner would say you start a motherfucking band <laughs> She's got the Eichneritis. Oh, I've been watching Parks and Rec like nobody's business. And I'm <laughs> just saying everything like Billy Eichner. So what you're saying is Billy Eichner's your spirit animal. Basically. That's fair. <laughs> or Craig from Parks and Rec is my spirit animal. Which is Billy Eichner. Which is Billy Eichner. Arguably. But specifically his character. <laughs> the idea of making music as an act of protest was 100% the goal. Which is basically the goal of every punk band oh, yeah. for the most part. She cobbled together a hodgepodge recording setup in her bedroom and recorded 10 songs. Nice. With a hand-designed album cover made out of collage art, which I totally did to my mixtapes when I was the same age. Oh, see, I wasn't that good. Oh, I I made, like, hand-drawn fucking pieces of art on that shit. I had scribble scratch on my CD or my (laughs) tapes. I'm like, this is what the name of the song is. Yo, I made some sweet... Once we had... CD burners, though? I made some sweet cover art with CD burners for my jewel cases. Yeah. You, you give me a graphic design, I can do it. But a fucking draw and shit by hand, eat a dick, I can't do it. I do remember one time years ago, my friend Chris, my dear friend Chris from high school, burned a bunch of CDs for me. And he actually drew the cover art of the albums on the CDs because he's a fucking blow your mind kind of artist. Holy he's amazing. Shit. And I still have them somewhere. Oh, So, thank you, Chris, for those. I Good still job, have Chris. them. So, with the hand design album cover and everything, Laura found herself with her very first Against Me album. Yeah! Laura and her friend Kevin started playing shows around Naples and started catching on to the point where they sold out of the first 1,000 real pressings of that album. That's awesome! And once again, the zine community makes an appearance... Through zine writers and pen pals, Laura even organized their first month-long tour of the East Coast in the spring of 1999, followed by their first cross-country tour. And the whole tour was done in a Buick LeSabre. Nice. Which is the exact car my grandmother drove. Okay, I was like, (laughs) you seem really proud of the Buick LeSabre. Yes. And that's why. My grandmother had a Buick LeSabre that we called the Reedy Mobile. Because her nickname was Reedy. Oh, Reedy Mobile. It's almost like the Reading Mobile. And the license plate said Reedy on it. It was such a grandma car. <laughs> so I just picture them driving around in my grandmother's it car. It smells like so. grandma in here. Yeah, it's a Buick LeSabre. What do you expect? Yeah, it smelled like stale cigarettes and Friedent gum. What do you want? It's a grandma car. Maybe some tab soda. Oh, she didn't drink soda. She only drank coffee. Oh, Coffee hardcore. Coffee and Sprite. That's nice. it. 
She was a peculiar woman. That's a fucking <laughs> that's a fucking perfume if I've ever smelled it. Coffee and Sprite. Coffee, stale smoke and Sprite. Oh, just call reminds it, me of my grandma. Just call it the Buick. <laughs> Do you want to no. smell like your grandmother? Call in the it Saber. Get Le Saber. <laughs> You're just gonna smell like cigarettes and coffee and Sprite. Mm. Like, oh, what's that Smells citrus like smell? Grandma. Oh, that's the Sprite. <laughs> it's the Sprite. <laughs> Earthy. Touring would become a way for Laura to forget her gender dysphoria. Boredom and curiosity were ever present at home, and this led her to trying on her mother's dresses and binge drinking. Seeing parts of the country she'd never seen before, camping in the woods along the West Coast, begging for spare change to buy food that day, there was always something to keep her mind off of it. Oh. But once she got back from tour and moved into a punk community house, it would all come rushing back and be difficult to deal with. Mm. Not helping was the fact that even in the open-minded household she was living in, she still didn't feel comfortable talking to anyone about her dysphoria. Mind you, this, this is like... A, a shitty fucking house with like 20 people living right. in it you know you, it, i mean we've known people live in these houses oh yeah absolutely this is like everybody I this knew is in that college. house that you have a friend who lives there while you're living with your parents and you're like i know you're living on your own but i'm kind of glad to be living with my parents yeah like i kind of don't want to touch anything because i don't know where it's been Ooh. yeah <laughs> Although queer politics were talked about more and more in these days, and her housemates seemed inclusive, gender identity was still a taboo topic. Oh, yeah, because we're at only at, like, 99-2000 at this point, right? Yeah, and, like, this was just when it started becoming kind of okay for gay people to come out of the, out of the closet. Yeah. It was still difficult. And you still didn't want to tell your parents because they would disown you. It was like a 75-25. 75 people are like, hey, fuck you. But 25 are like, hey, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I guess is better than the 90-10 that we had a couple years before that. But the idea of somebody not identifying with their assigned gender and wanting to be the other gender was not even talked about let alone really even heard of. Right. At this point, we might have been starting... I think I was getting to the point, definitely by my senior year of high school, being like, oh, okay, well, some some men just like to dress like women, and some women yeah. just like to dress like men. But yeah. I would have never... That was never, the farthest it went. Yeah, I would have never comprehended a man feeling like a woman and vice versa. Right. So, yeah, we're not there yet. She still hid the pile of women's clothes and wigs she'd amassed and would lock the be- the bedroom door when she wanted to put them on. She even stole a housemate's birth control pills once and started taking them, trying to see what the pills would do. Oh, my God. And it, it didn't end well. Don't do it. Oh, my. What, hap- what happened? She said she got, like, extremely bad stomach pain <gasps> and really bad cramps and, like, threw up. So, like, so don't do it. So do you think that birth control on men works the same way that Plan B works on women? No, because, like, I've taken Plan B, and, like, that shit fucks your stomach up real bad. Oh, probably. So then I'm like, so I wonder if because men aren't women, does birth control make men have the same reaction that women have, but they can't get pregnant? I am starting to think about this too much. I I think they do different things. However, the the (laughs) side effects are the same. Okay. Same side effects, different different uh procedures or whatever i don't know the word whatever bodies yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
but Against Me was starting to get things going. Their tour garnered them a wider fan base and more popularity, and in 2002, they gathered up enough money, about $800, Mm. to buy them two days in a recording studio, and they recorded their album Against Me is Reinventing Axl Rose. Yes! Which is a really, really good album. It is a good album. Um, With a really good uh, cover art, which Laura designed herself. She designed a lot of their cover art. And it's really good. No, it is. Um, It's interesting. It's um, it's so very punk photography, like, with, like, the negative kind of look to it. It reminds me of a flyer from a punk show. Yes. Which is exactly what I think she was going for. Good job. You did it. (laughs) But, I mean, this title, this album title is pretty uh, telling and harkens back to her days as a kid when she really liked Guns N' Roses. And this was kind of a way to reinvent that music that she really liked when she was a kid in a punk rock kind of way. Eventually, Reinventing Axl Rose would sell 200,000 copies and become the best-selling album in their label's history. But punks in the Gainesville scene weren't very impressed. And rumblings... Because that's because they're scrubs. Yeah, punks are scrubs. Oh, yeah. Period. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that. Um, (laughs) And rumblings were heard of against me becoming sellouts. But their label at the time, Planet X Records, weren't exactly treating them well. So they ditched them and they went to No Idea Records. How can you be a sellout when you have one album out? (laughs) Right? If you have no legacy in which to fall back on, how can you look at like, they're selling out. Oh, you mean they're selling records? Yeah, like, period, which is apparently the point of I'm gonna this? Jason Newstead this for a hot second. <laughs> yes, they are selling out all the records they have to sell. <laughs> Zing! But seriously, though, like, how can- that's not even a thing. Yeah. You're stupid. I- I- it, it's just so fucking easy to scream sellout It really now. is. And- I actually feel like when we were in high school- we we screamed sell out a lot more. Yeah, I feel like it. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just a feeling that I'm having personally. But I used to be like, oh, sell out, sell out, and now I'm an adult. I'm like, oh no, they're they're well, successful. <laughs> I mean, take Green Day for example. Mm. Everyone started screaming sell out when Green Day started. Like I remember when Dookie came out, mm-hmm. and actually Dookie was the first punk rock album that Laura Jean Grace ever had, which is true for most of us. Yeah, it was our, In first, our age group. Yeah, it was our first introduction to punk rock, and Dookie went on to be massively successful, and oh, it was yeah. a reason why everybody knows who Green Day is now. But with albums after Dookie. Everyone started screaming, sell out, sell out, sell out. Really? Well, okay, so why didn't Green Day sell out with Dookie? I'm sure there were people th- that were fans of them before that that, you know, were screaming sell out when Dookie came out right. and got so popular. But at what point does the term sell out lose its meaning? When you start using it to mean, oh, you've become successful. When you start saying screaming sell out anytime a band puts out an album. Yeah. You know? And that's what they did with Green Day. Every fucking album they put out, it was massively popular, but at huh. the same time, they were kind of vilified every single for time. Being successful. Just for being successful. That's bullshit. And it's I get really it. Like, stupid. When, we're, when we're kids and we don't know any better, you know, I thought Save Ferris sold out because they went like 
a little more poppy with their second album. And then I grew up and I'm like, oh no, they're, they're, it's But fine. I really like their Come On Eileen cover. But that was their first album. But I really liked it. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, it means everything was their first album. And then, um, oh fuck what is the name of their second album i don't remember i'm gonna kick myself in the ass yo I fucking love save ferris i'm gonna get like middle-aged dude on you right now and be like i saw save ferris open for goldfinger <sighs> stop in that 1998 like, that sounds like the best concert of our high school and or college wait, years no. ever oh wait no no no, oh. because it was Say Ferris opening for Goldfinger, opening for Sugar Ray. The jealousy <laughs> is oozing from my Isn't pores. It though? It, no, it kind of is though. Isn't like, it though? I would still, at 34 years old, I would still go to that concert. My first mosh pit. Is that Roseland Ballroom? Yeah, she's first mosh pit. Oh, baby's oh, see, first mosh pit. See, it's different though, because you were so much closer to New York City, so you could go to really bomb ass shows. Yeah, before that, I saw Aerosmith at Meadowlands, and before that, (laughs) but before that, my very first show that I ever went to was on July 5th, 1997 at Saratoga Performing Arts Center in Saratoga Springs, New York, and it was Bush. I'd, I'd still go to that show. It was pretty sweet. It <laughs> was a pretty sweet oh show. Oh, man. I want to design, like, the most 90s of 90s shows. Yeah. But not, like, the way everyone else does. Like, I would do it good. But not, like, the... Not the, I love the <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> um, uh, they're playing the 4th of July oh, celebration at, in I Albany, by the way. I am staying miles away from I Albany am, on the 4th of July. I mean, if that... That 4th of July hullabaloo shit that goes on every year didn't make me want to not go enough. Put Smash Mouth in there and I will run away screaming. I think we're going to go in the complete opposite direction. Oh, yeah. It's fine. Absolutely. So uh, thank you, Albany, for making my plans staying in on the 4th of July. Nice. (laughs) Anyway, where the fuck was I? Um, Sellouts. At this point, things were going pretty okay for Laura. Although money was tight, she was working at the most popular bar in town. She was lead singer and guitarist in a burgeoning punk band. Drove a pretty sweet muscle car. Ooh. But then her wife became pregnant. Were they married at this point? Yes, they were oh. They were married. Wow, how old were they? She was young. I think she was like 20. Oh, and she was working at a bar, and I think she said that she, like, had to have, like, special allowances so she could work at the bar because she was underage. Oh, holy yeah. shit. No, see, I think, can't you serve underage? Yeah, you can serve, but I, yeah, you can serve right, if you're a, special a wait staff. I don't think mm. you can be a bartender. Wow. But if you can't drink at your wedding, you're too young to get married. Well, they didn't really have a wedding. They, I think they married after like six months of being together. Well, okay. Getting married too quick. Uh, yeah. Too quick, too young. Yeah. Too quick. Too fast, too, too furious. Yeah. Too fast, too furious with this marriage. Stop it, guys. I mean, I'm sure everything's fine, but you yeah. Know. Uh, but this ended up being a very difficult event with a fairly harsh ending. Laura's wife attempted a home abortion with the help of some friends that were going to school to become midwives. It didn't work. Actually, I think it did work because or at some point they didn't have the baby. But this home abortion home abortion didn't work 
Ballora's wife ended up writing a pretty detailed zine about her experience and distributed it to her friends in the punk scene. Laura felt slighted, and the result was infidelity and eventually in 2005 and into their marriage. It was not good. But they ended up not having the child anyway. Did she, hold on, did she have the home abortion because it's Florida and, like, they're really strict on abortion laws? I mean, and it was the early 2000s, but According to Laura, she said that um, she wasn't really in favor of having the child, but ultimately she would support whatever her wife wanted to do. Okay. I guess her wife took that as meaning, well, I guess I shouldn't have the kid. So she attempted the home abortion (gasps) and then eventually didn't have the kid ultimately. Oh, wait. So it's, is it kind of Laura felt slighted because... She felt like she was being blamed for the home abortion debacle? I think so. I That was the impression that I got. Oh, my god! Because her wife wrote the zine, and I think the zine was not very uh, favorable towards Laura. Oh. And I think she kind of made it seem like Laura didn't want the kids, and that's why she got the abortion. Oh, my gosh. So, a whole lot of distrust. That's That's all really awful. Yeah, that's really bad. That's a whole bucket of terrible. So around the same time, once Reinventing Axl Rose was released, Fat Records showed some interest in the band. So if you don't know, Fat Records is a fairly well-known independent record label owned by Fat Mike from NoFX. Oh! Yeah, Fat Records had, like, the cream of the crop punk bands on it. Nice. You know, NoFX and... I ain't gonna even pretend like I know. <laughs> you, uh, I was waiting. I was like, what? she knows. If I hadn't down like three pints of Guinness at this point, I would be able to rattle them off, but I can't right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not even gonna front like I know punk that well. I don't. I dabbled in it. I know what I know, and that's all I know. Good for you. Yes. I mean, I dabbled in it. I listened to like Dropkick Murphys and shit when I was younger. Would but... you say that counts as punk? Back then, maybe. maybe. Not now. Maybe, no. Whatever. That's fine. <laughs> um, but they signed a fat rack and got $25,000 to record their next album. Nice. Which would be called Against Me as the Eternal Cowboy. Mm-hmm. That was a whole lot more than the $800 they spent recording their first album. Yeah. And this was a pretty big deal for them. More money than they'd ever received before, and a major hitter in the punk scene was interested in their shit. But not everyone was in on the celebration. Fat Records was considered too mainstream and too popular to be truly punk anymore. So signing to that label automatically gives you a sellout label. (sighs) Because punks are the worst. The Uh, worst. Oh, this is why I never got into punk. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for reminding me. Punks, obviously, were furious. Zines that Laura once used as a way to book against me's first tour were publishing columns encouraging people to boycott their shows. And they did. They harassed the band, destroying their merch, defacing their van, slashing their tires, and even literally prying their instruments from their hands while playing. All right, like, this is worse than Metallica fans. Yeah. (laughs) I want you to think about that, punks. I just said you're worse than Metallica fans. I kind of would even prefer you if you went and set churches on fire. I'd be okay with that. You know what? At least you're being productive. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Choices. 
punks. Think about your life. Think about your choices. Against Me toured relentlessly in the U.S. in 2003 to 2004, but this time things were different. Where Laura once used touring as a way to push her gender dysphoria to the back of her mind, once the touring became constant and the band's popularity grew, it didn't really work anymore. Mm-hmm. She started using drugs and sex as a means to keep it all pushed back, but even that didn't work and it all caught up with her at once. Right. She was supposed to catch a plane to a photo shoot for a high-profile magazine, but a massive bout of anxiety combined with the drugs and alcohol binge helped convince her that the plane was going to crash. <gasps> oh, jeez. So she skipped town instead and landed at a small village on the Gulf side of Florida. While crashing at a hotel in this small town, drunk and high on coke, she convinced herself she'd contracted an STD after finding small bumps all over her groin area. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, none of this is good. Yeah. Well, at this point, it was like constant drug and alcohol binge, constant, you know, debauchery, just trying to drown out this constant mental... cacophony of craziness what um like of this gender is that a word cacophony what what yeah did you make that up no i did not and i'm not that drunk i'm not saying it wrong am i what's cacophony like noise and just general like turmoil seriously for reals girl we need to get you a dictionary Ooh, i like dictionaries (laughs) i wanted to make a dick joke and i can't even think of one (sighs) there's no need it's already there. Got it. It's been there the whole time. <laughs> that dick joke's been there the whole time. You just have them lined up. They're just lying in Once wait. you use one, another one moves to the front. <laughs> yes. Just He just comes to attention. Hello. Because if I had an erection, that's what it would sound like. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Anyway. Oh my god. Okay, please keep going. It was cacophony. A constant cacophony of thoughts about gender dysphoria and how she needs to keep this a secret and can't tell anybody and is depressed and alone and everything. And in order to suppress this, it was just constant coke and alcohol. Mm. You know, constant rotation of coke and alcohol. Because that's her old standby of, I won't feel like a woman if I right. drink alcohol and do coke. Right. Sucks. So she went to a doctor. He went to doctor after doctor trying to figure out what STD she contracted, convinced that it was some kind of STD. Right. But was told time and again that she was clean. Come to find out what she had was something called molluscum contagiosum, which is a bacterial infection you get basically from wearing dirty clothes and living in squalor. Not a Harry Potter spell, because it sounds like a Harry Potter spell. Yeah, not a Harry Potter spell. You don't learn that at Hogwarts. It is very, very different. You could get it at Hogwarts, probably. <laughs> they just have much quicker ways to, to cure it? You could also maybe call it Hogwarts. Ah! <laughs> That's it! She did it! Thank you! Thank you. Tip of my hat to you. Amazing. (laughs) But, I mean, all those years of living that punk as fuck lifestyle. Yeah. It's not so cute anymore. Not really punk as fuck when you get some kind of gross rash. Yeah, exactly. 
it's not so great. Making things worse was the constant drug use, which exacerbated the infection. Oh, that so, makes yeah, sense. Drugs didn't fucking help. Imagine that. Drugs, huh. drugs don't help something? Mm, I don't know what about that. What you talking about? Hmm. In order to gain some kind of control again, Laura began micromanaging the band. Hmm. Further creating tension, their manager and label started giving Laura preferential treatment over the rest of the band members. But she sobered up by the end of 2004, but also fully committed to being male and stopped cross-dressing altogether. So she ended up stressed out and uptight, causing even more tension with the bandmates. Because suppressing that shit doesn't work. No. And this is turning into like the later aughts. Mm-hmm. So, like, 2004-ish. She's getting in the which, middle of the aughts. And granted, this stuff started being talked about a little bit more. But if you already have 20-something years of suppressing this shit... Of course. You're still going to be terrified of coming out with it. Oh, my gosh, And being yeah. accepted and doing something about it. If all you've ever known is trying so hard in so many different ways to just suppress it... That's all you're going to do. That's all you're, that's what's going to be normal for you. So journaling helped. And it was these journals that Laura got a lot of her lyrics from. Mm. Looking through Against Me's lyric backlog, it's pretty easy to pick out the once obscure references to gender identity and the crisis, crises it induced and all the references to the desire to be someone else. Right. They released their album New Wave in 2007 and on it was a song called The Ocean. Yes. Which are probably the most blatant references to Laura's gender dysphoria oh my yet. God. When I was listening to it today, I was like, this like, has wait. to be. It has to be after, right? But right. it's not. Well, no, I just in general was like, this has to be about gender dysphoria. Yeah. It has to be. And if you read the lyrics, it's like, oh shit, there's that. Yeah. Oh, and then there's that. Oh, and on this song, there's that. And then this song, there's that. Oh, yeah. There's there were a so bunch of songs many. where I feel like she sang a lot about gender dysphoria. And some of them I felt like maybe she's talking about suicide and just like a lot yeah. of just different issues. I was like, oh, whoa, she was in a place. And you can tell that um, she takes a lot of her lyrics from her journals because they're also highly personal. Of course. And if you read the lyrics <laughs> from the beginning of... Like, through their discography in order, you basically get her life story. They follow with her autobiography so clearly. Yeah. It's like, wow, I get that reference to her dad. I get that reference to, you know, dealing with gender issues. Hmm. I get this reference to her punk roots. I get all of these references. And it's like following her story the whole way through. It's I've never seen that with a musician before. Right, you really genuinely getting, this is my life, here you go. Yeah, exactly. It's in these albums, you don't even have to read my book, it's like, right yeah. here. But in the ocean, um, she says, if I could have chosen, I would have been born a woman. My mother once told me she would have named me Laura. Oh. Like, it's it's blatant reference to this very real problem that she had. And she expected to be outed at any second with lyrics like that, but she wasn't. Hmm. No one said a word. Because honestly, half the people listening don't pay attention to lyrics. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's just metaphor. Right. People automatically think it's just metaphor. Because it's it's supposed to be poetry or mm-hmm. something like that. But and I, think- I mean, I think Against Me's lyrics in general are a little deeper than a lot of your standard punk. Yeah. They're not... 
they are, like you said, much more metaphorical. They don't come out with literal meanings. They really want you to think. Mm-hmm. Which I do appreciate a lot of. Right. And I have to say, too, like, New Wave might be my favorite of their albums, at least through my first run-through of their albums. Mm-hmm. And this must be when she was on the bridge of wanting to... Well, she's, this is when she was really repressing everything, right? Um, 2007, she was still repressing yeah. everything. All the way up through 2012-ish, she was... Right. This was... Like, she didn't tell anybody about this. Right. But the album's great. It's it's a really album, stellar album. Yeah, New Wave album. is fantastic. New Wave has uh, Thrash Unreal oh, on it, yes. which was, like, their biggest single from that um, album. Superb. Yeah, that whole Very album good. is real good, start to finish. I also really love Piss and Vinegar. That's a really good song. It's a short, straight-up punk song. It's fantastic. The only person that really asked any questions was Butch Vig, who mm. produced the album. To which Laura responded with, I was stoned and dreaming about what life can be. Right. So pretty easy to explain away lyrics when you can just be like, ah, oh, it's just a metaphor. Oh, yeah. I'm just, these are just, it's, it's a imaginary. story. It's yeah. so good, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost real. Even the band's manager, Jordan Kleeman, said, I must have listened to him sing that song 500 times and I never thought twice. Tensions were high amongst the band members, but they kept on despite the increasing problems because shit was about to get real. Oh. Um, but Against Me was kind of floundering. They were going through a handful of drummers as longtime drummer and good friend Warren Oakes decided to leave the band to pursue a career as a restaurateur. Hmm. Things with their next drummer, George Rebelo, didn't go so well either. On top of that, the band was getting sued by their manager for unpaid wages. Oh. It was a shitstorm. That, yeah. It was a shitstorm. Also, that manager was also La Tigra's manager. Oh. Mm. They released Searching for a Former Clarity in 2005, and it was their first album to get on the Billboard 200 chart. I particularly remember the single Don't Lose Touch, which was my first introduction to Against Me when I was in college. Oh. That single, along with From Her Lips to God's Ears, were put on heavy rotation on college campus radio and MTVU all over the country. And when I was in college, my TV was set to MTVU all the time. Did you ever watch MTVU? No, at best I had Adult Swim on at night. That was it. MTVU was a channel that was MTV's specific channel for campus universities or university campuses. I I don't think my college campus had it really i'm honestly i don't because it's kind of we had the most basic of basic cable and i forgot we also had abc family on all the time once we had tgif oh yeah fucking on rotation all the time i was like yup yeah you know i will give it to suny new paltz we had pretty good cable dude you went to the arts school though of new york like you went well what upstate new york not new york city not counting because new paltz is where all of my friends went they were all artists and musicians, yeah. and they all went to New Paltz. And I applied, and I didn't want to go. I didn't even want to go to college, so I just kind of stopped. <laughs> you should have gone. We could have been college I know. friends. We could have been college buddies, but I fucked up because I realized right before college, I didn't want to go to college. <laughs> and like, so I had two options, and my parents were like, you're going to this one. I was like, fuck. Fine. New Paltz sent me a letter and said, Mm, we're not going to accept you because you kind of stopped applying. I'm like, no shit, New Pulse. <laughs> Thanks. I know how this works. I'm not an idiot. 
I know. I, oh, I, <laughs> that was basically what their letter was saying. You're an idiot, so we're, so we're not, not going to take uh, you. Ooh, you fucked up. Sorry. You're not mature enough to go to college. Normally, we'll take anybody that can spell their name right. <laughs> we're but, a SUNY school. <laughs> I mean, we're an art school, so... Mm. Yeah, I... I I should have gone to SUNY, but I I just didn't. But yeah, you went to the school that was. I'm not surprised that you had a probably a baller college radio and good music options and shit like that. Yeah, uh, my old roommate had a show on the radio station, and it was all about metal and stuff. Nice, it was pretty good. I didn't listen to it though, but I definitely watched a lot of MTVU. That's go. how I found out about Against Me and Peter Bjorn and John. And a whole bunch of other other things. So then in 2006, they signed to Sire Records, a legit major label. And everybody lost their fucking shit. Again. If you thought they were sellouts before, come <laughs> Wait check till you out. see them now. Against, where are they now? <laughs> Selling out. Um, they were thrown onto a major and very long tour of the U.S. with Alkaline Trio. And Hell then yeah. they went on Warp Tour. It was Which, on, so that's a big fucking deal. Yeah, if you're on Warp Tour, that's pretty good. You, everybody's going to see you. Everybody. It was on this tour that Laura met Heather Hanora, a band merch designer, and the two hit things off right away. A year later, they were married and living together. Man, Laura really likes to get married real quick. She right? does not fuck around with marriage. No. no, she does not. This was a time when, according to Laura, the dysphoria was manageable. It wasn't all-consuming. She had already committed to living life as a man, and she had fallen in love with Heather, and things were quote-unquote normal. She thought she could suppress the desire to be a woman forever, but the feelings came back with a vengeance in 2009. Hmm. For an entire year, she fought these feelings, but once Against Me was dropped by their label, she couldn't hold it back anymore. It was just too much all at once. That's a lot, yeah. Remember earlier we were talking about how she was supposed to get on a plane, but instead hightailed it Mm -hmm. to a tiny village on the other side of Florida? Right. And she sequestered herself in a hotel on an alcohol, drug, and cross-dressing binge. Okay. Basically the same thing happened again. Okay. Minus the drugs and alcohol. Oh. Plus a whole lot of song and journal writing about deep introspective reflection. This was when she knew she had to transition into a woman for real. Now, did she go and do this by herself? Her wife wasn't yeah, with her? Yeah, she did this by herself. Wow. Okay. That's a pretty intense trip. Right? That's a lot of, like, sober, introspective That's shit That's a lot of having do. to realize who you are as a person. I don't think I could do that. No. So. No. <laughs> Good not for without, you. Not without alcohol. Nope. There's a lot of things I can't do without alcohol. Nope. All of these songs written during these introspective writing trips would end up on Against Me's 2014 album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues. Oh. She told the band that she was writing a concept album about a transsexual prostitute because she still hadn't come out to them. Mm-hmm. But one day while in the studio recording the album, she just blurted it out. The band was shocked and kind of confused, of course, but after the surprise wore off, they were legitimately understanding and protective. Oh. Things were certainly awkward, and she was convinced things would get more awkward when she came out to her wife and daughter, who was one year old at the time. But her wife was also understanding, more so probably than her bandmates. 
The only thing her wife was upset about was the fact that Laura went through so much on her own and couldn't confide in her own wife. Right. Laura came out publicly as a transgender woman in 2012 in a feature article in Rolling Stone. She said she picked her name for specific reasons. Laura, because she w- that was what her mother would have named her if she were born a girl. Mm-hmm. Jane, because she thought it was a pretty name. And Grace, because that's her mother's maiden name. Oh, So it's pretty nice. That's really nice. <laughs> for the most part, the punk and rock worlds that she was a part of were pretty supportive. Musicians came out in support of her, and fans showed their support as well. Brian Fallon from uh, Gaslight Anthem mm-hmm. was pretty supportive. I He sticks out in my mind because I fucking love him. Oh, okay. Um, he was from Gaslight Anthem, one of my favorite bands. They're fantastic. Are they? You should check them out. <laughs> Is that a legitimate question, or are you just I, like, no. no? I, you know what, I... I do they play them on EQX? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I, I'm sure I know a song. A Maybe. song. I probably Maybe. Don't. I'm the worst when it comes to <laughs> bands. Yeah. But even... That doesn't make sense. Even CM fucking punk came out and gave her his support. Um, I would say especially CM fucking punk. Right? Because he's real cool. I... Love him. I missed the CM Punk days. You did, unfortunately. and that I I feel for you because those were the best days. Those were the days. <laughs> they, apparently, they were though. I probably would have loved CM Punk. Oh yes, you would. Oh yes. Oh, we should we should, oh we should find some like old CM Punk videos. Yes, All right. fantastic. Um, but of course, there were plenty of asshole trolls. That tore her to pieces for it because the punk community is kind of the worst. Well, you can't sell records and be beloved by the punk community. So I can only imagine when you come out as transgender, how the punk community will respond. And even Laura uh, acknowledges the fact that the punk community is a real boys club. It is. And that was half the problem with Riot Girls. Yeah. That's half the reason they started. They just it's a couldn't... fucking boys club. They can't stop being pieces of shit. Yeah, if it if it's not directly beneficial to the white male punk kids, then it's garbage. Yeah, and fuck that. And that's really sad and pathetic. Hey guys, knock it off. But hey, you're only maybe 50% of the population, so not even 50% of the population. Seriously. Um, guys, find your chill. Just find it. It's that's never gonna happen. They have no chill. There is no chill to find. Like, how is her being transgendered ever gonna affect you? Oh, that's it's right. Not. It's not. Well, it's the same deal as like fucking conservative people. <sighs> how is a transgender person using your bathroom? going to affect you they're gonna touch my children it's not no, no, they're, no not. they're not guess what they're not so eat a dick transgender people just want to pee in a toilet wash their hands and get the fuck out yeah that's it period you know, nobody's fighting again in the girls room i don't even want to go to the girls room because <laughs> we're fucking gross true douchebags <laughs> but in may 2012 she performed with Against Me for the first time under the name Laura Jane Grace. Oh, that's awesome. Yay. 
She released her memoir, Tranny, Confessions of Punk Rock's Most Infamous Anarchist Sellout, on November 15th, 2016. But just because Laura has all the support... All this support doesn't mean everything is hunky-dory. Gender dysphoria doesn't just go away after gender reassignment. No. Permanent mental health damage certainly occurs because of years and years of personal mental abuse and the paralyzing fear of not just being found out, but also being ridiculed and ostracized. Yeah, because even when you finally are comfortable enough to come out and say who you are, you will no matter what, have to deal with fucking douchebags. Right. And at least, like, half of the people that you come in contact with are going to be a troll of some kind. Right. They're going to be an asshole, especially now with the internet and social media. It's just, like, they come out of the goddamn woodwork. And I would actually argue that even worse than trolls, I think, are the people who are... Not necessarily coming from a bad place, but who don't, quote, get it. You know what I mean? Right. You know, people who say, oh, I mean, I just don't understand why they feel that way. Why don't they just go get help? Well, the help is that they need gender reassignment or they need to live their lives even if they don't... Sometimes they don't even want gender reassignment. They need to live their lives the way that they are comfortable with. Yeah, and that's fine because, again... How does someone you don't know going from being, I know I was born male, but I feel female, going to affect you personally? Right. It's It's not. not. The only way it affects you personally is the fact that for some dumb reason, you're offended by it. Right. So even more than a shitty, hateful troll who arguably might just be shitty and hateful because they're stupid trolls are the people who are very smart and very intelligent. You can have a conversation with them, but at the end of the day, they're still going to look at you and say, I just think it's mental illness and I need help. Right. Stop it. You're not being good-natured. You're not meaning well. You're part of the problem, and you need to look at the shit you're saying and really think about it. It's because people don't want to try and think a little bit deeper than the surface level. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I totally still, even today, will think something and be like, oh, well... Well, about that, and then I, st- I, but I stop myself and I say, "Well, hold on, Maggie. How is this really gonna affect you? Oh, it's not. Who are they really hurting? Oh, nobody. Okay, if you can ask yourself yourself that question, and those are the answers, find your chill. Yeah, because it's not going to affect you in it's any not. way whatsoever. It's not. It is not going to influence your daily life on." Any level. No. It's not even going to register. No. It is somebody that you have never met, yep. that you have no connection with, that you will probably never meet in your entire life. And even if you meet them, Living. who gives a shit? And they're just, they just want to live their lives the same way that you do. Right. Why would you get so up in arms over that? I don't understand it. It doesn't fucking matter. They're fucking people. That's it. Stop. <laughs> God damn it. Now I'm just angry. <laughs> <laughs> so, on top of that, transitioning from one gender to the other takes time, mm-hmm. and often body dysmorphia accompanies it. Oh. Laura often talks about how she doesn't have a typically feminine physique, leading to self-ridicule and self-hatred. Mm. Transgender women are still he- held to an impossible physical standard, possibly even more so than cis females, because they have to work harder to have th- those hips, that butt, 
and those perfect tits. And you gotta get rid of the, you know, the you voice, got, the hair, the strong bone structure. You have to shave down the Adam's apple. Oof. You got to do the bottom surgery. You have to do implants wherever you want to have implants. Yeah. But. But you're saying you shouldn't have to do any of that. None of us should have to do that. None of. The only person that can be Kim Kardashian is Kim Kardashian. Right. And I don't even know how she does it. I can't do it. It's plastic surgery. It's plastic surgery. Guys, it's plastic surgery and cameras and And, mirrors. And fillers. Yeah. And It's Photoshop, guys. But that South Park episode, not totally wrong. <laughs> baby, baby, how you ate the Hobbit again? <laughs> Best fucking episode. I actually know what you're talking about because I have actually seen that episode of oh, South Park. So good. <laughs> Mainly because of all the Lord of the Rings references, but yeah. it's still so good. I, that's probably why I've seen it. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, transgendered women are still held to this ridiculous physical standard right. that like we can't even attain to but they they are going from having a typical most of the time having a typically male looking physique right transitioning to a female physique and you know hormones can help but that that doesn't instantly like you can't snap your fingers or get a fairy godmother who right. changes you into Cinderella. It doesn't happen that way. And it is completely unfair it that is. people would hold transgender women to this impossible standard and expect them to have like big boobs and a butt and hips and that hourglass figure. And then like bu- immediately after having surgery or even before having surgery. And then That's ridiculous. You're still gonna have to fucking deal with when you tell guys, oh, like you could be the hottest fucking piece in the world objectively. And you tell a guy, but I used to be a man, and you're gonna get the crying game. Yeah. You know, it's you're still gonna have that shit reaction. So yeah, I can understand how fucking horrifying that is. Yeah. And from friends that I know in the community who have transitioned, and I only know from male to female, I don't know female to male, but the hormone process is very, very, very difficult. Yeah. It can be a lot of weird mood alterations that you can't control. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about when we're just on our periods and we can't control that. Imagine going from being a man to now you have to be a woman and you're going through these weird hormonal changes as if you were in high school again or something. Yeah. But it's even worse. And it's your body's trying to find the balance and it can't. And you can't explain it. You can't control it. And it's not even like as, like if you like you and I just have naturally occurring estrogen in our bodies. Exactly. And just imagine not having that in your body really, you know, in, in a very small percentage and then introducing yeah. this like massive amount of estrogen being put into your body or whatever. I don't know how it works. Yeah, I'm not it's even gonna science. Science. Well, I believe we don't know it. I believe it's <laughs> I believe it's pills. It might be injection as well. I I honestly don't know. I the only people I know in the community are um female to male. Oh. So we are opposites Ooh, right we're now. On the opposite um yeah, I don't I don't think I know any female to male. Yo, people tell us. Yeah. Educate us because Seriously, we want to learn like, something. If you guys and that know was and a, have personal experience, please and, tell us. And that was a big fuck up on my part by not researching that first. But hey, I don't know. You know what? 
still got Pride Month for a while, and it should always be Pride anyway, so we should always be learning. Exactly. So educate us, please. We are more than fine with you coming out and being like, you got this wrong, and then please tell us what the right answer is. Yeah. And also, I, am- I would like to know if there is a big difference between, you know, um, we have naturally occurring uh, high amounts of estrogen mm-hmm. in us being female. Right. Um, is there a big difference in the effects of estrogen between that and putting like synthetic pill form estrogen into your body? Yeah. It, is there different reactions? I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak to my reactions to like birth control because yeah. birth control has hormones in it too. Yeah. And I'll but tell if you're you, a dude, if you're a dude, just don't take your housemate's birth control. Just don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Don't fucking do it. Yeah. But what I like about Laura is that she's not a typical woman. Cis, transgender, whatever. She still has a middle finger yeah. and she can still tell you to fuck off. And she probably will. Yes. And I think the best way to think of Laura Jane Grace is by this quote. Imagine me, six foot two, in heels, fucking screaming into someone's face. Because honestly, that's something I can seriously relate to. That's how I feel on the inside. And that's how Laura is on the outside. Oh, I love it. So. I love you, Laura Jane Grace. (laughs) Oh my God. She's fabulous. She's pretty wonderful. And, um. I wish I was friends with her. Yeah, that's that's she's going on the list of celebrities I wish I was friends with. Yeah. Who I wouldn't be afraid to walk up and be like, hi. <laughs> but that's about it. And then I would like awkwardly still walk away because I'm terrified of what other people think of me. It's fine. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. But yeah, she's she's a fucking gold star human being to look up to. 100%. And still completely even though the punk community that she was a part of is screaming sellout in her face. Ugh. Still to this day? Um, oh, yeah. Still Ugh, to this day. Stop it. Um, and now probably even more so because it's a fucking frat house in every punk community, basically. So to have a transgender woman as a lead singer in a punk rock band is pr- and to have done it so publicly. Yes. Probably some trolls getting real, real pissy and bitchy. Getting real off on that bullshit. Yep. Should have known this was going to be some bullshit. (laughs) Should have known. Should have known. But yeah, no, that's a great story. I am very excited to know more about her and against me now. And I'm really glad I listened to a bunch of their discography the past few days. I'm like, this is really great music. This is good fucking driving music. I don't give a shit if they are sellouts, whatever. They're not. They're not. That's not how that works. Guys, do you know what sellouts are? Do you know what sellouts are? <laughs> do you even are? know what sellouts are? Fuck. But she's not a fucking sellout. Against Me is not a sellout band. No. They are an, a legit and upstanding punk band that still has their punk roots. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yo, if your lead singer coming out as transgender and not giving a fuck and doing her own thing isn't punk, then what the fuck is punk? Yeah. If that's not punk, I don't know what is. Selling so, out's pretty punk. <laughs> Middle fingers. Fuck off. In there. Fuck off. And you know what? Go fucking listen to some against me. Learn yourself something. Yes, definitely. Because it is well worth it. It is super worth it. Well worth it. Fantastic. I'm fucking amped. Ready to go. Let's do this. Are. Let's fucking do this. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for listening. <laughs> 
seriously, thank you everyone for listening to our crazy rants. For partaking in Pride Month, because this is a fucking important month. Let's give a shit. Absolutely give a shit. Hell yeah. And we're going to keep going for the rest of the month. And you guys can follow us on all the things. We'll make posts and all that jazz to help you guys keep up. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast and Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. And visit our website at www.rockcandypodcast.com. And if you want to send us an email, our email is contactus, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-S. Did you seriously just spell it? No, <laughs> Come I'm on. thinking that people don't understand because we never get emails <laughs> at Rock Candy I Podcast. I think people just don't want to email <laughs> If you email us, we will read your email on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know if that, I feel like that entices people sometimes. Does it? I don't so, know, maybe. No, I don't want to read a whole email. We can, we will, tweet us. Tweet at us. Do it. <laughs> is that what it's? Is, is that what it is? Send us the tweet. Do you? Is this how the it works? Twitters? Um. Yeah. Do that, and we'll yeah. read that. All right. I want to read a whole email. I got enough to read. I mean, it might not be that long. Oh my god! <laughs> Someone's gonna send us a fucking novel, <laughs> and I'm gonna regret so much. And you know what? If you like what you hear, or even if you hate what you hear, you should you should see, give us a review on iTunes. Do it. Yeah, definitely do that. You should give us a five-star review on iTunes, even if you hate us, and then talk about why you hate us. <laughs> they hate us because they ain't us. Oh. You're just rhyming all over the place I here. Am. I'm also just stealing quotes from other people. It's fine. That's all right. It's fine. And, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see you kids next week for more exciting, fun stories from Music World. And with Indeed. That, yeah, on that party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. Party on you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.